Hey folks, welcome to the Book Club Podcast, the Millennial's Guide to the BRI. I'm your host, Enzo Kong. I guess you already know that the focus of our episode today is the Baltic country, Lithuania. And you may ask, is Lithuania still part of the BRI? Hasn't it just bitten farewell to China? Well, that's what we're going to find out. Our guest for today is Ugna Mikhailyuneta. Ugna holds a master's degree in China studies in the Yanqing Academy of the Peking University and is now working at a Greater China country manager at a cybersecurity firm in Lithuania. In our discussion, we examined carefully whether this is the end of the road for Lithuania and China's cooperation, and if not, what's next? We also took a look at some of the done and collapsed deals throughout the years and examined their implications. Finally, we touched on Lithuania's tech ambitions and the opportunities for the young people there. Ugna is super knowledgeable about Asian culture and politics. I enjoyed a great deal talking to her. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. And for now, enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the show, Ugna. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I mean, I look forward to this show so much, but um, if there is one thing that makes me nervous is that I'm struggling to pronounce some of the names. <laughs> My only knowledge of Lithuanian names come from the NBA players, but that's all. Mm. So please do correct me if I mispronounce some of them. Okay, that's fine. And, and the first name that we're going to introduce today is actually um, Ingrida Shimonita who is um, the mm-hmm. current prime minister of Lithuania and has only taken office since December last year. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about her politics and especially her foreign policy? Uh, so Angreta Shimonita, she's probably one of the most popular, one of the most prominent politics um, in Lithuania at the moment. So she participated in the elections for the presidential uh, run, but unfortunately she lost. And mm. uh, now we have President Gitanas Nuseda. But I would say that most of the things are being run by Ingrida Shimonita and other women in the parliament and in the government. Um, so she's a lot more pro-West and pro-European Union than previous prime minister. Mm-hmm. So before we had um, um, Prime Minister Skvernalis, and he was a little, bo- a little bit more pro-Russia, pro-East, pro-Ukraine, pro-Belarus. So all the cooperation was mainly based on those areas. Um, and the current, the current government sees China, sees Belarus and Russia more of as national threats. And we really want to get independence uh, in regards to logistics, in regards to national, um, natural. In, in regards to natural resources from these countries. So we're really trying to get a bit more with the United States, with uh, the Western Europe. And I would say Shimonita is definitely going towards that part, um, especially now with the COVID happening. We don't really have that much space to work with foreign policies <laughs> because right. now we have the COVID and then we have the Belarusian issues. We have the migrant crisis happening. So we don't really have that much space to work with the other countries um, besides working on the COVID situation. And I suppose her foreign policy would explain the recent tensions between Lithuania and China. 
as um, the Fuenia has officially withdrawn from the BRI or, or the 17 plus one group, that is the group mm -hmm. for the Central and Eastern European countries with China um, in May this year. Um, mm -hmm. So they argued that the partnership had not lived up to its um, promise and the foreign minister called instead for EU unity and to move from a 16 plus one format to a 27 plus one. And more recently, China has recalled its ambassador to Lithuania and demanded Lithuania to do the same after Lithuania and Taiwan agreed in July to open representative offices in each other's capital. So I guess the real question is, have we reached a point of no return or is it still possible to salvage the relationship? I think there's still a way <laughs> in this part because yes, we do want to work as one unit. Uh, so it was a bit more, a, a bit surprising that we got punished for withdrawing from the 16 plus one way we wanted to have the uh, more unity with the European Union. And then you have countries in the European Union that are not part of 17 plus one, 16 plus one at the moment, and they're not punished and they can just continue working with China on mm -hmm. their own. Of course, there are bigger countries like Germany, Spain, uh, France, but then Lithuania being a small country, we cannot really work with China separately in general. Right. Um, even within 17 plus one, we have to go through all the regulations that European Union provides us and gives us. So we cannot really say, okay, we want to do these things with China. Um, so yes, China would like to work more directly with us, but then European Union is still the most important thing at the moment. It might be a bit easier for the Balkan countries because they're not part of the European Union. They can be just as a separate mm. unit. Um, so hopefully we can make up on this part um, and actually work as a unit because that would be a, a bit more of an issue with the railway structure and the port structure, uh, all the projects that we already have. Um, regarding Taiwan incident, uh, I don't know how to feel about it <laughs> because I know that there are already quite a few countries that have economic uh, trade offices with Taiwan, um, even in the European Union. But I think it's it was more of an issue regarding the name that we called it Taiwan, not not Taipei. Right. Um, so that was the main problem for China, um, and already we already we already got into trouble before uh, with China, uh, when we supported the Hong Kong activism, mm -hmm. uh, when we supported uh, Tibetan um, uh, independence, because Dalai Lama has visited Lithuania numerous times. Um, so I think all these little things <laughs> just added up. <laughs> and China is just saying, okay, it's enough. You're too small to do these things. Um, but I'm still hoping for a better future and that we can actually do something regarding this. Um, so we will see how it's going to work out. I'm not surprised that they uh, withdrew the, uh, the, uh, the ambassador from Lithuania, from China. It's just one of the ways to punish. Uh, and that has happened before when we supported the Hong Kong activists. Uh, we got punished economically with Dalai Lama as well. We got punished economically. But those punishments, so to say, they were not as major. So Lithuania kind of defined uh, 
we we got the same stuff from the European Union that China took away. So I think that's why it repeats. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's time to take a take a step back and look at what has happened so far since Lithuania joined the 17 plus one framework back in 2017. So as you said, infrastructure and transport is always the focus of Chinese investments. Um, mm. There were some good news. For example, there was a freight train connecting Southern China and Lithuanian capital Vilnius being launched in May 2020, which would make Lithuania a postal hub where international parcels will pass through and later be transferred to 36 European countries. But the more complicated part, I guess, um, is with the port of Klaipeda. Mm -hmm. So um, you can tell us about how strategic, strategically important it is later. But um, the facts are that um, the seaport of Klaipeda and Lithuanian railways have already jointly formed an important supply route for the developing China-Belarus industrial park near the Belarus capital Minsk. But um, mm -hmm. the more tricky thing is that Klaipeda has been mulling the port's expansion and the potential construction of a deep water port worth around 800 million euros for almost 10 years. And in 2015, China Merchants Group was set to build a new outer seaport for the for, for Klaipeda. But um, things changed since then. And in 2019, November, Lithuania said that any possible Beijing investment into the port would pose a risk to NATO, and it cannot allow China to take a controlling stake. And most recently, the transport minister ruled out the development of a deep water port project for at least a decade. So, Ungle, can you tell us what is, what is your take on the whole sector and where is this heading to? Well, to start with the infrastructure and transport, so the railway, um, it would have been a really great project to connect China with Lithuania because it just makes everything faster. Uh, we already have possibilities to support the Russian uh, railway system and to support European railway system. So it's just a good hub to have to connect these two areas, to connect the remaining Europe with Asia. Um, the same, I think, is with Klaipeda. It's the northernmost uh, port that does not freeze during winter. So it's also like a really good hub that we can just, it can work during winter, it can work during summer, it can work 24 seven. Um, but as you mentioned, it has become a bit more of a national price, uh, from national risk, uh, for security risk. So I think it's more with the, re uh, with the new government that we have. They see China as a very much security national risk um, because uh, they know that if uh, China starts investing in Klaipeda, it's not just going to be like, oh, a little investment of money. Um, they're going to own a lot of the um, infrastructure. They're going to own a lot of the ports and a lot of the buildings and a lot of the shipping uh, containers. Um, and yes, that does not work with NATO because the United States, they will not uh, be happy with this and they will not be happy putting uh, military, they will not be happy um, working with Lithuania because the United States is always very much pro-Taiwan, pro-European Union, they're very much anti-China at the moment. Um, and for them sort of losing this uh, hub, uh, a buffer zone towards China, towards Russia, is also a bit of a um, painful thing. 
So now Lithuania is in a way left between these two superpowers and we don't really know what to do because in one way we can get investment from China, we can get all these railways and we can get a new port developed. But on the other side, we're losing on everything that the United States might offer us. Mm -hmm. So we don't really know uh, with which side to work, where the national risk is, um, because Lithuania is very much on that side that we don't really want dirty money. Uh, we don't really, we see what um, Western Europe is doing. They're getting the money from countries where there are human rights abuses. And Lithuania is very much against anything of that kind. Okay. So if we see human rights abuses in the Middle East and in China and in Belarus, we boycott everything that has to do with, <laughs> with that country. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just in a way uh, our nature to support um, to support those that are bullied, to support those that have been annexed, to support those that uh, are uh, are being abused. So for us, it's not really just about the economic parts, but it's also very much about the social responsibility. Um, and yeah, Lithuania is definitely going towards that because we do want to get independence from uh, Russian gas, from uh, Russian electricity, mm. Um, talking about energy, we're very much against the Belarusian um, against the Belarusian um, plant that they they built in Astrovas. Um, so it's just very much <laughs> we, so, we we know yeah. <laughs> so is the is the seaport project or the expansion project now practic practically dead, or is it is the tender still open but only open for Western companies? Um. It's still left in negotiations. So in regards to like our infrastructure ministry, they're still very much open to it, to mm. this because they, they think more about the money part and less about the politics. But then when you get all the politics into, into discussion, then yeah, definitely not during this administration, definitely not for the next five, six years, mm -hmm. I would say, um, but it might be left for for the next decade, probably, because at the moment, yeah, we uh, we kind of have other issues to deal with on our eastern border. Uh, so in a way, Klaipeda is a bit left. Now it's left just on a question mark. And sometimes the case is that um, the Western companies actually are not interested in the project because they think it's not profitable enough. But at the same time, mm -hmm. they don't want the Chinese companies to take it. So. <laughs> And the only loser is obviously um, Lithuania. Now, yeah. um, now speaking of um, strategic dependency, um, we have also seen a deal in the energy sector where um, the North China Power Energy Engineering Company, NCPE, has acquired um, a Lithuanian company called Power Network Institute, or ETI, back in 2013. So that may not be directly relevant to the Berlin Road, but it's, it's still important. So can it be said that um, this acquisition, uh, what, what does this acquisition has to do with um, the dependency of electricity or energy on Russia? Um, well, for us, I think it was just getting independence from Russia after joining the uh, European Union is probably the main reason. Oh, well, the main, uh, the main goal, just to get mm -hmm. independence from anything that has to do with Russia. Um, but at the same time, we don't really have 
any of our resources. So I think getting national resources for just being acquired by a Chinese company in this case, it didn't not really change too many things. I have not noticed any changes regarding the electricity, regarding any discussions about this. Mm -hmm. So I would say this acquisition has very much stayed economic and very much has stayed just in that sphere. Nobody discusses it, I would say. Nobody is talking about it being a national um, security risk or an electricity risk. Everyone is just talking about what Russia is doing, uh, what uh, Belarus is doing. So I would say this one is very much outside of the discussion. You don't really find that much information about it. Mm. It's like, okay, but they it, acquired it. Is it, is it. is it really practical to effectively exclude Russia on, on these things? Because, I mean, if you look at Germany, it's the, the pipeline, Nord Stream pipeline too is still going on mm. and the government would not um, agree to shut it down, so. Yeah, it's, it's always difficult to exclude Russia because Russia is just always there. We cannot, <laughs> we cannot <laughs> ignore Russia. Um, and at the same time, other Baltic countries, Estonia, and Latvia, they have a bit better relationships with Russia. Mm. They have better political economic relationships with Russia. They have more Russian uh, citizens in their countries. Lithuania is just very much, um, I don't know, we don't have good relationships with Russia, especially our government is always very much, whatever we do, we choose the West over Russia. We always know that anything that Russia does is a risk. Um, and we have Kaliningrad region next to us, which is also a military hub. Um, Belarus is basically a proxy Russia. Mm. So we try, we try anything that we can do and we still depend on it. We still depend on a lot of things that Russia is providing because all the national resources are there. National, natural, <laughs> natural, mm -hmm. sorry. All the natural resources are there. Um, so it just, it's, it's difficult to hide from it. Uh, but yeah, our government at the moment is just very much set on, on, on as much as possible having an independence from it, even though it's economically impossible. And speaking of Belarus, we've been seeing, seeing a lot of tensions in the, in the border about the migrant mm -hmm. problems. But um, it's also true that Belarus still has um, quite a significant role in Lithuania's economy. For example, um, companies with links to Belarus have been increasing their presence in the plot of Klepeta, which we've mentioned. So it is, mm -hmm. how is this going to pan out? I mean, um, are the regional instabilities going to affect business and the foreign investments? Um, I would say so, because... Uh, before COVID, the, we um, definitely started strengthening our relationships with Russia, uh, with Belarus, more and more. Uh, so I would say, like in the in the past five years before COVID, we started working economically more. We started opening up visa-free uh, um, traveling and visa-free shopping trips because we wanted to let Lithuanians go to Belarus and shop there. We wanted to let Belarusians come to Lithuania. We started working more on education. And we, um, on flights from Vilnius to Minsk, on proper railway system between Lithuania and Belarus. So it's been the last few years 
during COVID, during the uh, uh, probably after the last election, um, when Lukashenko not really won, but just took power, uh, we started seeing a lot of the activism uh, mm -hmm. arising in Belarus, and Lithuania supported everything. Uh, Lithuania accepted Belarusians running away from Belarus with mm -hmm. open arms. And that was last year, I would say. So we had huge rallies, we had huge marches, we had huge events just for Belarus. Um, but then the this year, it has just become more and more difficult because now Belarus opened up the um, uh, the um, airplane, the plane systems with Iraq, Iraq and other Middle Eastern countries. And our people are seeing this as a national security risk because we're seeing this as a propaganda or Belarusians, well, not Belarusians, but Lukashenko trying just to um, make Lithuania seem as a fascist country because he's even mentioned that, um, just spreading a lot of propaganda about Lithuania just trying to destroy everything that we started building. So uh, we just, in a way, stopped working as much uh, because we definitely wanted to build a bit closer relationship. Mm -hmm. But then after building Astrova's power plant, um, Lukashenko becoming more and more pro-Putin, uh, pro-propaganda, anti-West everything, it has become very difficult because we did expect that, okay, maybe the last election would have been a bit of a change, uh, new president, new government or anything, but now it has just all gone downhill from there. Um, and now we are dealing with a migrant crisis. And I would say now at the moment, those are the two main topics, like how many COVID instances a day and how many migrants a day. Um, and why exactly are they departing Belarus for Lithuania? Are they seeking asylum or? Yeah, it's mainly seeking asylum. So we're getting both Belarusian uh, asylum seekers because they're running away from being imprisoned mm. for activism, for uh, speaking their minds. Um, and also we're getting a lot of Middle Eastern um, asylum seekers because they're flying to Belarus. Um, they have an easy access to Belarus, but then no one wants to stay in Belarus. And we don't really have a proper border, uh, so to say. <laughs> we, we don't have a wall. <laughs> we don't have anything <laughs> of that. We have several posts because we, we never had an issue with this. Um, so now we're just getting an influx of um, migrants. Now we're getting thousands of migrants. Uh, I think this year we got maybe 4,000 of them. And that's a lot or a small country like ours. We have several cities that hold migrants that have places for migrants, but it's not enough. Um, so now it's def definitely something that's um, making it a bit difficult to focus on other things uh, that are happening uh, because what asylum would, seekers, yeah. And what would be the implications on business? Um, so now we cannot really do any business with Belarus because a lot of the businesses left Lithuania. Uh, they're seeing uh, they don't want to work with us because either they believe in, in, in uh, Lukashenko's propaganda or we are getting more restrictions on Belarusian uh, businesses. So Lithuanian businesses in Belarus, there are uh, political risks, economic risks. 
they don't want to be in Belarus anymore. They don't see uh, the economic uh, reason to be there. Um, and also it's just very difficult now to get any visas, to get any documents just ready. Um, and if you're doing anything exports, imports related, um, everything of that kind is shut down. Uh, so we have buses going, but I think railways are restricted. Nothing can go in, go out. Uh, airplanes are restricted. So there's no way to get the goods. There's no way to get the people, the money. It's impossible. Wow. Now, um, I guess we ought to talk about some of the IT developments as well, because I guess that's a focus of Lithuania's future. Now, before you tell us about the big picture, I'll just give a few examples. Um, so for example, Throughout the five years up to 2019, Lithuanian exports of high-tech products to China grew 7.4 times to more than 22 million euros. So China had emerged as the largest market for Lithuanian laser producers since 2016. Um, and Chinese billionaire Jack Ma also paid a surprise visit to Vilnius in 2019, which is becoming a major tech startup hub. And also nine, China, nine Chinese fintech companies have been licensed in Lithuania as of 2019. So what do these say about Lithuania's tech ambitions? Well, we have a lot of those. <laughs> uh, we definitely have a lot of ambitions in regards to tech um, because where we are lacking in natural resources, we definitely have a lot of human resources. So our education system is now very much focused on IT and very much focused on business. Uh, uh, it's very easy to open a startup in Lithuania. It's quite cheap to open a startup. You can get visas uh, that are like with zero tax for the first year or just very, just easing of any regulations and any restrictions. And you can always get a help in English. Everyone is speaking English in Vilnius and Kaunas. Mm. Um, so we do have a lot of tech companies opening up here, especially opening up their HQs, even if they're not, uh, if we, even if they don't have um, Lithuanian uh, founders, other countries are coming here because they see that, okay, they can get high quality, cheap labor, uh, comparably cheap labor as to like France, Germany, UK. Um, and we can work in English, we can do everything as anyone else can. Um, so yeah, I think without having natural resources, we, we in a way had to find something. So lasers was the first thing where we exceeded, where we're developing everything for the world. Um, FinTech was very much a good way for us to exceed in 17 plus one and to have something of ours. Um, because maybe we couldn't do a railway system as well as other countries, but we could do fintech because it does not require any space to. Um, and in the past few years, BIT companies have expanded a lot. Um, there are a lot of hubs, a lot of business centers. Um, so I myself work in a cybersecurity company and it's just one of several we have VPN products, we have Oxy Labs, we have proxy services, we have uh, payment systems, we have um, servers, we have everything that you might need um, for cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the uh, one of the emerging 
areas in, at the moment. Um, also, we do have a lot of applications uh, being developed in Lithuania, like Vinted, where you can sell um, your uh, used clothes, used goodies, anything. Mm. And, and is it a local become... Lithuanian company? Yeah, it is a local wow. Lithuanian company, and it has become a, uh, a unicorn. Um, so yeah, Oxilabs, I think, might have, been, had, might have become a unicorn already. Um, my company is going strong and getting towards uh, becoming a unicorn. It's NordSec. Uh, we also have like NordVPN, NordPass, everything. Mm -hmm. And it's all from like Lithuanian <laughs> motivation. Right. Um, but we know that yeah. um, Lithuania is not the only Baltic country which is um, strong in tech. So Estonia yeah. is not far away, which is another maybe even more well-known tech powerhouse. So are mm -hmm. they in direct competition? I wouldn't say so. Um, we definitely take example of Estonia sometimes mm. because Estonia was the first Baltic country that started like looking more up to Scandinavian countries. Yep. Uh, because Estonia was always okay. We're not Eastern Europe. We're not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't speak a Baltic language. U.S., Latvia, Lithuania can stay together. Estonia is always looking up to uh, Finland, Sweden, Norway. Um, so in a way, they were the first to develop the uh, e-government, the ID, the yep. e-IDs. Um, and all the elections online, but at the first, we were kind of looking at the example, we a bit saw that there might be a risk of maybe like voter um, infringements and identity thefts, uh, some hackings. And there mm. were some hackings in Estonia in regards to the e-government. Um, same in Lithuania, when we started developing more into tech, there was some risk where we didn't know how to do certain things, but now it has become just so big and so prominent that I think it's it's definitely getting better. I think, except for Latvia, Latvia is, is still lagging behind mm. Estonia and Lithuania in regards to startups and tech startups, because I, according to the latest numbers, Estonia, Lithuania, back in 2020, we had around 1,000 startups each, but Latvia had only like 300 um, because they're, they're mainly looking into exports, imports. They have Riga. Riga is the major city in the Baltics, I would say, and they have all the connections with uh, the Central Asia, and they're working on that. They're working on corporations with those areas. And Lithuania, Estonia are a bit more into other areas of uh, so it's it seems that the education of Lithuania is quite decent, especially in mm -hmm. the tech area. So can you tell us what are the most pressing issues facing the Lithuanian youth nowadays? Um, at the moment, I'd say I'd say there is a huge disparity between the big cities and the small cities. So I myself am from a small town um, next to Latvian border. Um, and compared to what the youth has in Vilnius and what we had <laughs> growing up there, there's and, a huge difference. And you now work in Vilnius? Yeah, wow. now I work in Vilnius and um, everything definitely has changed in the past 10 years since I left high school, but... Um, so there is a brain drain from small cities to the large ones. Yes, so a lot of people are leaving small towns. So first, small towns don't have universities. 
So everyone was okay finishing high school and then just going to big cities, to mm. universities. Because in Lithuania, there's this big idea that it doesn't matter how well, how bad you did in high school, you must go to university. Mm. So it's just nobody wants to go to the colleges. No one wants to go to the practical, uh, to the voc um, vocational colleges. Um, so you are saying everyone, one, you are saying everyone, one hundred percent of the young people go to universities. Uh, not everyone gets into university. Okay. <laughs> Basically, everyone wants to get into university, uh, and it's not difficult to get into university okay. in Lithuania because we have a lot of universities. We mm. have at least like twenty universities in Vilnius, I would say. And it doesn't matter like how bad university is, it might be in like some mid-sized uh, city, but it's still a university, you still get uh, a degree. Um, it might not really be worth anything later, but you have a university degree. Um, so there is a, that drain and that idea that, okay, I need to go to university, mm. I need to get education. Uh, it doesn't matter that I finished, barely finished high school, but I have to go. Um, so everyone is definitely leaving and staying in the big cities. There are also a lot of people from the big cities that are leaving to, um, to foreign countries. So I myself, I left immediately to, <laughs> I immediately left abroad. Uh, after high school, I went to the Netherlands. Um, so people are also migrating because if they want to get a good job, they need to often migrate, um, especially if they're not working in the tech area. Because yeah, programmers get a lot of money, but then if you want to work somewhere, even in marketing, even in, in design and business administration, then you're not going to earn as much as in the Western countries. And um, I heard that there is a decent initiative called Create Livonia, which aims to bring mm -hmm. um, students with international experience back to work for the public sector. Um, can, you can you tell us more about it? And could BRI have a role to play in this, uh, in, in terms of producing or nurturing young talents? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the BRI definitely could help this initiative uh, because this initiative was um, was created just for that purpose to to bring back Lithuanians from other countries. Um, now it's a bit getting better and more people are coming back because mm. a lot of startups are opening up here uh, in the past several years. But before then, for that time, it was just, okay, you leave Lithuania and you go do something elsewhere. Um, there's nothing bringing you back. Um, Lithuania was still not doing too well after the uh, 2009 crisis. So everyone is just very much okay, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to find better life elsewhere. Mm. Um, so these initiatives like Great Lithuania, like Startup Lithuania, which is also a new initiative, um, they're aiming just to help um, help young people to get back and to find them immediately find a job um, in the public se sector, especially. Because not that many people want to work in the public sector in Lithuania like, at all. <laughs> Everyone yeah. wants very much to go into private sector to work for private corporations to get the money. Um, public sector, it might be everything for the better good, uh, but not a lot of people want to just work for the better good. A lot of people want to get the money. <laughs> and then when you work in an embassy at a, 
at a ministry, at an NGO. Um, you're doing great things, but sometimes you don't have enough for, I don't know, you don't have enough for rent or food. Um, so I think these initiatives need more financing and they need a bit more marketing, I'd say. Uh, although there are people coming back and there are people uh, getting more involved in NGOs and the grassroots uh, activities because young people definitely see that Lithuania is a bit struggling in regards to uh, um, some, some activities or human rights <laughs> matters. And so on. Well, you're a, a prime example of getting your international experience and coming back and contributing to the economy. So can you, can you tell us about your journey? How did you come up with the idea of studying in China? Um, so I've always been very interested in East Asia and East Asian cultures. Um, it probably started with my first visit to Hong Kong. So that was in 2009. And I just fell in love. <laughs> I fell in love with the food, with everything. I went to Kowloon and Sinshatsui <laughs> and like the Hong Kong Island, everything was just so amazing. And like, I've never felt so much at home and so much, like the amount of people did not bother me. I usually have mm. extreme social anxiety, but I was just not bothered. Um, so I just wanted to do something with that area. I wanted to learn about that area. Um, so I started learning, I started looking more into possibilities. And in Lithuania, we did have a program um, in Synology, so in China studies, but it was very much humanities based. Um, so you learn the languages, you learn the classical languages, you learn the ancient history, and you don't really get the practical, uh, practical skills. So nothing about economics or politics. So for that reason, I went to the Netherlands and I did international studies at Leiden University. But for some reason, I chose Korean because I really got into this K-pop. <laughs> <laughs> that was like in 2012 with all the boom boom of like K-pop is the best and I need to go to Korea. I need to become this Korea master and stuff. Um, that's a fair reason for choosing a degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was still interested very, like in other Asia, East Asian countries, but like I chose Korean as my language and I, I did my thesis on like Korea and Japan and I went to Korea for half a year, but mm. it did not leave that good of an um, impression. Um, but I got a, a, um, an offer to study in China at Yanqing Academy. And I thought like, why not apply? Why not try going to China? So I got in and I spent two years in Beijing um, and it definitely changed my perception on China. It definitely changed my perception on the world and what I want to do with my uh, career because I did, I did sociology uh, there. Well, I focus more on sociology. Uh, we did study economics and politics mm -hmm. and, and, China's, and, and China culture. Um, but I kind of stuck more into the sociology part. Um, how is the society working? How are people working? Um, and then I went back to Lithuania because my visa <laughs> ended. Um, and I, I started looking for a job and I found a job as, uh, first it was like a China content manager, China marketing content manager, but then 
the product that I was working with um, doesn't really get accepted in China. It's a VPN, so everything got really restricted. And then I started. But there, was a, more than... there is a great demand, isn't? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was an issue because we see the demand, we saw the demand, everything, but then we cannot promote, we cannot market in any way. Uh, so then I started working more with Taiwan, Hong Kong. So I sort of came back to that <laughs> Hong Kong and Taiwan part, and and now it's just I I love working with these countries. I love working with this area. It's always great to write emails, get emails from there, and just people are amazing. Um, so it's definitely fun. So um, nowadays, uh, are more Lithuanian young people considering coming to China to study? I mean, Yanqing Academy is um, targeted towards international students, right? Mm -hmm. So are they getting any support or resources to go there? Um, I don't think that Yanqing has any um any partnerships in Lithuania, mm. because I went to Yanqing as um, it had a partner with Lighting. It had a partnership okay. with Lighting University. So I sort of went as a Dutch student uh, in, a, in this mixed way. I think there was also another Lithuanian in Yanqing Academy and she also went through another university. Uh -huh. um, because we do have a Confucius Institute at Vilnius University. And they have a partnership with Xiamen University. Um, so they go there. Um, and also I think, yeah, I think that's the only one that they have a partnership, maybe something else in, up in the North. Um, but there are, I wouldn't say there are too many people studying Chinese studies in Lithuania. At the moment, Japan and Korea are having their, mm. <laughs> their, max, uh, their maximum uh, popularity especially Japan at the moment. Japan has become very popular. Uh, Korea before was very popular with K-pop. Now Japan is having another in increased popularity with just so many anime fans. China is sort of staying within that area where people are kind of, they don't see any popular culture coming from it. So mm. they sort of see it as like, okay, if I want to do business, economics, politics, I'm gonna go to China. But if I want to have a fun uh, experience then I'm gonna do Korea, Japan. And the same was in my, um, in my studies in Leiden, uh, because we had like all the Koreans, uh, all the students studying Korean and then Japanese, everyone was just very anime, K-pop. Oh. <laughs> And then all the people studying Chinese were just very business. <laughs> but there was still a lot of fun when you were in Beijing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was in a way just the very uh, very visible difference that everyone just like yeah, China is just business. There's I get nothing it. fun. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> now before we leave here. Ugna, do you have um, a general verdict of what is going to happen between Lithuania and China in the future? And what is the road ahead for the BRI? Um, I definitely hope that we can patch up all the things for China and continue working, um, even if not within the BRI, perhaps having that 27 plus one. Uh, just actually having the uh, Europe with China working towards the one goal, towards economic prosperity. Um, if that works out, 
then it's great. Um, at the same time, I just hope that COVID doesn't really ruin more relationships because Absolutely. COVID definitely <laughs> ruins a lot of the things. Um, I think these two years uh, made everything a bit more difficult because just all the projects stopped, everything stopped, all the corporations stopped, all the uh, movement, transportation, everything just uh, became worse. Um, so I really want to see China and Lithuania working in the future, not getting angry for every small thing, because at the moment it's, it's becoming very much for Lithuania and other small countries a difficult thing, uh, just working between these two superpowers and also Russia, they're um, trying not to say something bad or not to mm. say something against Beijing because immediately we get, okay, you have to apologize about that. You have to apologize about that. So I would like to see some changes from China as well. Um, I know that's very hopeful, but um, definitely I would like to see some changes, a bit more lenient, lenient uh, cooperation. Um, maybe Lithuania being a bit more open towards East development. Um, but yeah, hopefully after the, uh, after the pandemic, <laughs> everything ends, uh, then we can move towards that. Because yeah, Belt Road Initiative, it definitely can help with economic development. It can help with educational development. So many students in, in Lithuania from China uh, and they they're kind of lost at the moment mm -hmm. so don't want to leave anyone outside <laughs> all right well thank you for coming again and it's good talking to you thank you no, no problem thank you <laughs>